good to see each and every one of you here this morning. Miss Ruby, thank you so much for that wonderful prelude. That was wonderful. That was beautiful. We always love the Christmas season and the Christmas music uh, that surrounds the season. Uh, such a joyous and festive time. Um, but we are super excited that you have uh, come to worship with us today here at Pitts Baptist Church. And if you're visiting with us, we ask that you take a care card that's on the pew back in front of you and fill out the information on it so that we can know of your visit today. We would love to get back in contact with you. And then on the flip side of that care card is a place for anyone to fill out a prayer request. Our staff really want to know how to be able to pray for you. So you can fill that out and then you can return these uh, by in the giving boxes that are located on the back wall of the foyer of the sanctuary lobby as you exit. So, But either way, we're super excited that you came uh, to, to worship with us today. And um, before we get started, there are a number of announcements. Christmas season is always busy with announcements. And so here are a few. Now, as I'm announcing uh, uh, these announcements, uh, there's going to be a QR code up on the screen. And if you want access to all the announcements and all that's going on here at Pitts Baptist, all you have to do is take your phone out and scan that code. Uh, so this is the only time in the service that we'll tell you to take your phone out, turn it on, and do something with it. So when you're finished, turn it off, okay? So, um, but a another way to stay up to date on what's going on as far as announcements is simply go to our webpage, pbcweb.org, and sign up for the Friday email blast. And everything uh, that I say has already been communicated uh, through that email blast. And if you're having issues getting connected with that, just call our church office. We'd be glad to help you get connected there. It's just a great way to stay connected and know what's going on here at Pitts Baptist Church. Today is our uh, March for Missions for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, our goal this year is $85,000. And when you're prompted uh, later on in the service to come forward, you can simply come place your offering in the manger. And then uh, if you're not prepared to give today, that's okay. We'll be taking up this offering through the end of January. And 100% of this offering goes to help our international missionaries, 100%. So uh, you be in prayer about what the Lord would lay on your heart to give for this. And as always, thank you for your generosity. We always blow this offering uh, out, the, out the wazoo. So I guess I can say wazoo from the pulpit. I just did. So, um, uh, but anyway, thank you for your generosity. Um, um, along with that, our Pitts post office is open. Uh, and so this is a time for you to bring your Christmas cards. It's an in-house post office. Uh, and what you would do is to simply bring your Christmas cards that you would mail um, to members of our church. Bring them by the church uh, uh, welcome center. And, and then we'll place them in the boxes where they need to go. And then you simply take the money that you would have spent on postage that you saved. And you take that and you make a donation to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Orders are now being taken for the Christmas poinsettias in memory or, or honor of someone. Uh, so to do so, please uh, fill out the order form that's at the information desk in the lobby. So take care of that. Uh, tonight's going to be a very special night. Five o'clock uh, in our gym, we're going to have a church-wide Christmas party. 
We will have a snack supper and some other goodies to eat. And then we'll enjoy some games and then fellowship. And then some uh, ministry offerings from our, our youth ministry and our children's ministry. It's just going to be an incredible evening. So please um, come back tonight at 5 o'clock. Um, there is no cost, but tickets are required. Uh, so bring that with you. Also, bring your favorite dessert to share. And then lastly, wear your ugliest Christmas sweater. Uh, and, and, you, and if you're voted the ugliest sweater, uh, you might win a prize. Um, pictures of your staff taped on your sweater do not count, though. We'll just let you know that. Today wraps up our Angel Tree ministry. Thank you guys so much uh, for taking part of this every year. Uh, it's just a way that uh, makes Christmas merrier for some that would not otherwise have that opportunity. Uh, there are still, though, uh, a few tags that are left on the tree in the foyer here at the sanctuary. Uh, and then all of those gifts must be returned tonight at uh, the Christmas party. So once again, thank you so much for that. Um, JT has been uh, super busy planning some special events for us to enjoy over the next few weeks to make our Christmas season much more meaningful. Um, next week on uh, Sunday, December 17th, in the morning worship, our adult choir will present their musical Among Us. Um, this will be our 10-15 worship service, so I hope you make your plans to come. Along with that, next Saturday night, the 16th at 6, here in the sanctuary, the Army Band will once again be with us. I know you will, want, will not want to miss this Christmas musical experience. There's no tickets necessary. Just come and enjoy a good evening of Christmas music. Um, friendly neighbors, don't forget uh, your Christmas uh, outing this Tuesday at 11.30 in the gym. You'll enjoy a traditional holiday meal and also an archaeological presentation from Steve Patterson from his trips to the Holy Land. Again, there's no cost, but um, make sure that it, uh, it's a ticket event. You bring your ticket. And lastly, I hope that you are able to, to get one of these um, committee uh, lists that, uh, that are... Uh, for our vote next Sunday, we, we will be voting on all of these people that are on this list to serve on committees for 2024. Uh, so make sure you get that list before you leave today, and then next Sunday morning, we will have our vote. Um, well, hopefully and prayerfully, you've completed your second week of quiet times and master life together. I trust uh, that you've been encouraged as you've been in his word. Um, and then... This uh, week's memory verse uh, comes from the Gospel of Luke. Um, so we're going to read it together, and we're going to start and end with the reference. So let's begin. Luke 9, 23 and 24. Then he said to all of them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. 24. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time in our church's history that we can all be on the same page in what we're studying and what we're learning. Lord, we know the value of 
learning individually, but there's also great value in learning corporately. Father, it binds our hearts together with a common goal and a main purpose. And Father, we thank you that what we are learning is wrapped in the words of Scripture. Thank you, Father, that you've given us your word, Father, to, to read and to study and to memorize and to meditate on it and then to obey it, to put it into practice. And Father, we know that when we do these things, this is our part of taking up our cross daily. That when we open your word daily, we're saying that we want to be yielded to you and submitted to you and what it is that you would have for us in our life. So God, I pray that you would take the words that we're reading from Scripture and the Holy Spirit would use them in, to mold us and to make us more into the image of your Son, Jesus. God, we thank you that we have the Word. We thank you, Father, that uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God, we thank you and praise you for that wonderful gift because it tells us about the best gift of all, and that is the Lord Jesus who died that we might live. We celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas, but we know that Jesus grew and lived a perfect life and then died the death for us that we deserved, but he lovingly did it so that we could have a relationship with you. God, I pray that we never lose sight of that. And I pray, Father, for believers in this room this morning that our commitment to you because of that is greater. And then, Father, for those who may not have a relationship with you, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you use the words that are preached this morning to draw them to faith in Christ. Lord, may you be honored and glorified in all that is said and done in this place this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
the second Sunday of Advent. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and nothing came into being without him. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Scripture is full of instances in which the Lord appeared to his people, and they did not recognize him. From Jacob, who prayed for the deliverance of God and then wrestled with him all night long when he appeared. To Jesus, the light of the world, God's only begotten Son, crucified by the very men most anxious for the coming of the Messiah. On this, the second Sunday of Advent, we remember the first coming of our Savior in a humble manger and look forward to his second glorious appearance in the clouds. But today, this day, if he visits your heart, will you recognize him? Or will the darkness blind you from seeing the true light? Jesus encouraged us to be like a bride waiting for her bridegroom with our lamps full of oil, ready and waiting for his appearing. Will you be ready for the Lord if he appears today? Just stand with me. And as we sing together, you may bring your Lottie Moon Christmas offerings and place them in the manger this morning. Joyful, all ye nations rise. 
the 
seated.
Amen. Thank you, Handbell Choir. It's good to uh, hear the, the sounds of Christmas, the music of Christmas. I don't know if you're like me. I don't know where this year has gone. Uh, Christmas has come upon us so quickly. So it's uh, nice to hear some of the music of Christmas. Uh, I want you to find John uh, chapter 15 in your copy of the scripture and also 2 Timothy chapter 3. And this morning we're going to look at the subject matter, the living word and the written word in the life of a believer. Let me say that again, the living word and the written word in the life of a believer. I hope you've been following along in your book, Master Life. Of course, this week we looked at the subject matter uh, of the Word, the Word in the believer's life. And each week what I'm trying to do is use some of the passages in that week that we've been studying individually. So we want to continue that today. And I'm going to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. John 15, and I'll read from verse 1 down through verse 6. And uh, then later on, in the context of the message, we'll turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we'll begin reading in verse 14 there and reading down through verse 17. Uh, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit." For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to your word this morning. And may we all hear what your spirit is saying to the church. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who communicates. And you condescended to us in the incarnation. You came to us because it was impossible for us to come to you. You had to come to us to make a way that we could be reconciled to you and be at peace with you. Lord, we thank you for your son, the living word. And I pray this Christmas season that each of us in our own hearts would draw near to him. Lord, as a church, all during this study, I pray that daily we would draw near to you. And that through the power of your spirit, you would conform us more and more each day to the image of Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I hope, you were, I hope you were listening carefully to those verses that Charles Luther read earlier in the service today. From uh, 
John chapter 1, let me read it again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then down in verse 14, John says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Folks, Jesus is the Word. He is the living Word. He is the Word made flesh. And what is it that a Word does? A Word communicates. What does Jesus as the Word do? He communicates. Listen to verse 18. John says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus communicates what God is like. Now last week we saw that we are to love the Lord with every facet of our being. We're to love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We are to love the living word. We are to love Christ. And this week, I want us to see that we are to abide in the living word and in the written word that he has given us. Because, folks, it is a vital connection to Jesus that gives us strength and purpose and direction every day in our lives. And by knowing and doing his written word, we will also be equipped for ministry in a a dark and a dying world. And so this week, what I want us to do is look at both. We're going to look at the living word and the written word. And we tried to say last week from the great commandment in Mark 12, 30, that how we're to love God with all of our heart and mind and body and soul and strength, that if there's anything out of order in your Christian life, it probably goes back to that. You probably need to get back to addressing the vertical relationship with the Lord and getting that right. If there are things on the horizontal level not right, if you're not loving one another as you should, if you're not serving uh, the body of Christ the way you should, you probably need to get back to that vertical relationship and give attention there because it is out of that relationship that the overflow happens in our lives that, that we reach out to others. Well, that's exactly what we see here in John chapter 15. He's the living word, and so we are to abide in him, and as we abide in him, he does wonderful things in our lives. You know, there's a story about a little boy uh, who had a stick pony. You know, a head of a pony on just a stick, and he dressed up. He was playing cowboys and Indians, and he was running around the neighborhood one day riding his stick pony, and he came in exhausted. And his dad said, son, why are you so tired? He said, dad, because real cowboys have real horses, but I've got to do all of the galloping myself. You know, too many Christians are trying to do all of the galloping themselves instead of abiding in the vine 
and allowing him to live his life through us. I want you to understand what Jesus is doing here in this passage, the context of it. He wanted them to understand how to relate properly to one another. They needed to love one another. They needed to understand how to properly relate to the world. They would be hated by the world. And that should come as no surprise to them. Now the key to relating properly to one another and to the world uh, while bearing fruit at the same time would be found in their relationship to him. And so that's where he begins with them. How we relate to Jesus Christ and his revelation will determine everything else. And that's what I want you to see today. First of all, I want to point out to you the source of the Christian life. Jesus said, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Jesus Christ is the source of the Christian life. He is the living word. But John uses an image... To communicate how the life of the living word is to dwell in us. He says there in verse 1 that uh, he is the true vine who cleanses us. And he's painting a very powerful image here. It's the same type of image later on in the New Testament Paul will communicate to the churches, but Paul will use the human body as an analogy. He'll talk about Christ being the head of the body, and he's talking, of course, about the church. Christ is the head of the church. He's the the head of the body, and then individually, we are members of the body. One is an arm, one's a leg, one's a mouth, one's an eye, one's an ear, so forth, and so on. And so it's largely the same analogy here here the same truth just different analogy head body vine branches but there is a bit of a difference not only do we need direction like the head gives us direction but we need life we need spiritual life and that's what a vine gives to branches it gives life There's got to be a vital connection to Jesus if we're going to have true life. Stay with me for a moment. I want to point out something scholars mention here. In the Old Testament, there were passages that talk about Israel being a vine planted by the Lord. In the Psalms and in the prophets, Uh, we see this image like Isaiah 5 for example how the Lord planted a vine uh, on a hill and he built a wall around it and he showered it with goodness and expected them to produce fruit good fruit but instead they only produced stink berries 
And so he was going to judge them. But my point is, over and over again in the Old Testament, Israel was portrayed as being the vine. And usually what would be communicated is in some way or another, Israel had failed. Well, Israel was a type, a shadow that pointed to Jesus. Jesus says here, I am the true vine. I'm the true vine. Now, the significance here is that the average Jew would have, have believed that a connection to Israel would save them. In other words, they were trusting in their bloodline. They were trusting in their heredity. But as the Bible points out, this can't save. Paul had to remind the Jews in the book of Romans that the true child of God is the one who is a child by faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, God chose the Jew and it was a great privilege, but he chose them to bear fruit to the nations. And they failed because they thought it was a matter of uh, externals. Now I'm spending a little bit of time there this morning because we're the same way today. People think they're right with God maybe because of their family or they think, hey, I'm a Baptist or I'm a Methodist or I'm a Catholic so I'm okay. But I want to say to you this morning, membership in the Baptist church isn't the vine. Jesus is the vine and you've got to be connected to the vine. You've got to know him. Religion can't save either. God told Israel, I'm sick of your solemn assemblies and your offerings. They felt that life came from their liturgy, from their religious observance. And here again, people tend to think today, I go to church. Hey, I take part in baptism and communion. I sing the hymns and the songs of the faith. You know, I, I must be okay. Well, all of that's wonderful, but I want to say to you again, it cannot save you. The question is, have you been connected to the one who is the true vine? Have you been born again? He's the one who gives life, even as a vine gives life to the branches. As the true vine, Jesus saves. He's the source of life. He's the source of life. And you'll notice in verse 3, he points out he cleanses us. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. How do you get clean? How are you forgiven? How are you put right with God? Through Jesus, by believing his word. What was said all the way back in the book of Genesis about Abraham in Genesis 15. Abraham believed God and God credited unto him as righteousness. What does God's word say about being clean, about being saved, about being forgiven? Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 23, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans 10, 9 and 10, That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him, from the dead you shall be saved 
We are to believe God's word when it comes to the one he has sent. The one who is the living word. The one who is the vine. The one who is the true vine. Salvation is in him alone and no other. He's the source of life. He's also the true vine who nourishes us. Every moment of every day, what is a vine doing? A vine is sending minerals and nutrients into the branches so the branches can in turn do what they are supposed to do, which is produce fruit. And folks, that is what it means to live the Christian life. You're connected to the vine to Jesus, and you have the life of the vine nourishing you and giving you strength each and every day. You know what I believe the reason so many Christians are living such a dry Christian life and there's no joy, no strength in their Christian life is because while they may be saved, there's no daily fellowship with the Lord. There's no nourishment going on. Jesus promises that he will feed us. He's the vine who feeds the branches. It's like he told the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He said to the woman at the well that he would be like an artesian well inside of her springing up fresh water that continues. But what do we do so often? We get up, we go about our day. And many days, we don't even think about the Lord, perhaps. Is it any wonder we're weak and anemic and dry? Folks, Jesus will feed you. He will nourish you, but you've got to fellowship with him. He's the true vine, and he will nourish you. Also, he is the one who joins us to the Father. He says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. My father's the gardener, some translations say. The ESV says the vine dresser. And so to have Jesus means that you not only have the life that the vine gives, but you get a relationship with the gardener as well. What did Jesus say? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. What did Peter say in 1 Peter 3.18? The just died for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Jesus is the one who connects us, makes a relationship possible with the Father, the vine dresser. John Phillips is an English commentator and in his book on Romans he tells the story growing up in England about a little boy standing outside of Buckingham Palace. And the little boy was crying because the guards at the palace wouldn't let him in to see the king of England. And all of a sudden a handsome, nicely dressed young man came walking along and said, Son, why are you crying? And the little boy told this young man why he was crying. And the young man said, Here, put your hand in my hand. And the little boy did. This time they walked up to the guards who snapped to attention, 
allowed them to walk right through. In fact, when they got to the door, a guard even opened the door. They didn't even have to knock or ring a doorbell. The guard opened the door so they could go in, and the young man walked the little boy down the hallway into a back room in the palace and introduced him to the king of England. You see, the little boy didn't realize that he had put his hand in the hand of the king's son, the prince of Wales. And because he had put his hand in the hand of the king's son, he had access to the king. Jesus gives us access to the Father. He's the one who connects us to the gardener, the vine dresser. And Jesus says here that the Father is the one who prunes us. And you know what? Pruning is painful, isn't it? This is the the disciplining that the Lord does in a believer's life. And it's ongoing. All of our lives, the Father disciplines us. A new grapevine was not allowed to bear fruit for the first three years. It would be lifted up and pruned during that time, allowing it to get well established. And then after it was well established, every year the gardener would trim away at the branches... And so this was an ongoing thing. It wasn't an overnight process. And folks, what a beautiful analogy that is of God's work in us. You see, at conversion, something wonderful happens. We have a new master. Sin and Satan are no longer our master. We have a new master, the Lord. But we have all those bad ways and habits from a lifetime before we were saved. Now sometimes a sin of the old nature may be taken away overnight. For example, you may get saved and overnight find that your language is cleaned up. But there may be other entrenched sins in your life that might take months or years or even a lifetime to conquer. Sometimes Christians wonder why they aren't instantly changed overnight. And the answer is because this pruning goes on and on and on. There's never a time in your Christian life that you'll be able to say, Okay, God, you can leave me alone and move on to somebody else now because I'm perfect. I've arrived. It is a process of pruning that is underway. Paul says in Philippians 1, 6, I'm convinced of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. This pruning that goes on and on and on. Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, but we all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. You see, it's ongoing. The source of the Christian life, Jesus. Jesus. He's the one who cleanses us. He's the one who nourishes us. He's the one who connects us to the Father, joins us to the Father. He is the source of the Christian life. He's the living Word. Are you abiding in Him? 
And that's the second thing I want you to see this morning. The responsibility of the Christian life. The responsibility. Look with, look with me at verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me... You can do nothing. He's the source of the Christian life. But what's my responsibility? My responsibility is that we are to abide in him who is the living word. I want you to think about this. Of all the things that Jesus could have emphasized. Abiding is the one thing that he mentioned here ten times in these few verses if we were to read on down through verse 11 ten times Jesus mentions remaining in him abiding in him ten times folks what if somebody tells you something that many times you reckon it's important and what is it that he's telling us here that we are to abide in him, which means that we are to follow him, we're to stay close to him. Again, he's the living word who dwells in us. And abiding is necessary for fruit bearing. He says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So don't miss this. Bearing fruit is not the result of human achievement. You and me just saying I need to try a little bit harder. Bearing fruit is instead the result of Christ at work in and through us as we abide in Him. He's talking here about basic disciplines in the Christian life. We never outgrow the need for the basics. If we are serious about following the Lord, we've got to seek Him daily. We've got to fellowship with Him. We've got to abide in Him if we want to bear fruit for His glory. Abiding also reflects dependence upon God. He says the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. We'll, we are helpless on our own. We're not the vine. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Now let's think about that a minute. Because we know there are some things we can do. We can get up in the morning and make ourselves a cup of coffee and eat breakfast and get dressed and go out and start our car, get to the office, unlock the door, cut on the lights, Maybe you sit at a, a, ta a desk and pick up the phone and start making sales calls. There are some things you, you just start doing. So what's Jesus mean by you can't do anything without him? You can't do anything of kingdom value without depending on him. By the way, you can't do any of that other stuff without him either because he's the one that gives you your next heartbeat. But you can't do anything of kingdom value without him. 
nothing of kingdom value without him. Your life, your Christian life, as far as your impact, your influence, your ministry, will just be a big fat zero unless you depend upon the Lord. Too many Christians are not abiding in the Lord. We're just living every day to survive. We're not abiding in Christ. We're not growing. There may be a lot of activity going on in our lives, but not much is happening. And let's be honest. Haven't you lived some of your days just like that? There's plenty of days we can look back on a week and say, you know, It just doesn't seem like I've accomplished anything much of kingdom value this week. But on the other hand, if we're abiding in him and his pruning is going on, we're amazed at the difference he makes in and through us. Everything about life takes on a new dimension when we're living this way. We look at relationships differently. Because we start wondering how we can impact people for the sake of Christ. We look at our time and circumstances different. We want to redeem the time and make the most of our opportunities. We look at our service different. And so by abiding in Christ, everything about us changes. Now there's a warning in this passage for people who don't care anything about this. They have no use for abiding. They care nothing about the Lord's discipline in their life. They're not the least bit interested in this. Look at verse 6. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Jesus is saying, here's somebody who really doesn't even belong to him. There may be the outward appearance of belonging, but there is no true belonging. There's no life of the vine in that person. And so what's left for them, they'll dry up and be tossed away. There'll be ultimate judgment from the Lord. Scholars believe who Jesus was probably talking about here, the prime example of who he's talking about here would be who? Judas. Judas, exactly. Judas hung around Jesus for three years. He enjoyed everything the vine had to offer, but there was no vital connection. He hung out with the 11 disciples, but he never had what they had. You see, folks, it's possible to hang out with God's people, to be exposed to all of the blessings of God, and yet not be one of His. There's no abiding, no desire there, no fruit, no work of God in that person's life. They are spiritually dead. But you know what? For God's children, it's different. Hallelujah. It's different. Abiding in Christ, the living word, bearing fruit, bearing more fruit, bearing much fruit, he finally said. Abiding in the one who is the source of life. That is your number one responsibility as a child of God. Do you understand that? Do I understand that? Every day, our number one need and our number one responsibility is abiding in Him. Staying close to Him. Fellowshipping with Him. 
Because everything else in the Christian life is going to flow out of that. It'll be the overflow. You understand what he's saying? It'll be the overflow. If we're abiding in him and he in us, it'll be the overflow that we experience. Second key responsibility, other than abiding in the living word, is abiding in the written word. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, Paul says to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. We are to abide in the written word. Verse 14, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, don't just look at my example and look at my life. Yes, you have that to follow. Paul's saying to his son in the faith, you have my example to follow, but even more than that, you're to look to the word of God. The word is to continue to be your constant dwelling place. And by the way, it is the same root word that Jesus used in verse 15 when he said, abide in me, remain in me. When Paul says, abide in the word, remain in the word. Timothy was to make a dwelling place in his heart for the Word of God. It's been said too many of us have a Bible in our hands without having a Bible in our hearts. And that's true, isn't it? Paul wrote to the Colossians in Colossians 2, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Philosophy can take you captive. Tradition can take you captive. But for the child of God, only the Word of God is what is to captivate your heart and mind. Verse 15, Paul says, you've known the sacred writings, Timothy. That was a Jewish expression for the Old Testament. The Jews prided themselves that by age five, their kids were nurtured and discipled on the word. They had a saying, our young drink in the word, the Torah, along with their mother's milk. Paul said that through knowing the sacred writings, Timothy, you've had the wisdom to lead you to salvation. You see, the central figure of the Bible is Jesus Christ. And the central message is the salvation that God is offering us through faith in Christ. The Bible's not chiefly a book about history or ethics or science or simply to be read as great literature. Now, when it comments on all those things, it's reliable. It's God's Word. But the Bible is a book about redemption, showing us Jesus. Through reading the Bible, we learn the bad news, our condition. We've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but we also learn the good news 
we're told about a Savior, Jesus Christ. That's God's point in giving us His Word. That we might know Him. We're to constantly abide in His written Word. And as verse 17 points out, once we're saved, the Bible guides us in our Christian development, our discipleship. Paul says... Uh, there in, in uh, verse 17, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. How can Scripture do all of this? Because of the nature of it. It's God-breathed, verse 16 says. It's inspired by God. Folks, the Scripture is more than a human invention. It has more than human writing and human wisdom behind it. It's God's holy word. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And he says here, all scripture, the Greek word pasa, without the definite article, it implies every single part of it, every verse, every chapter, every book. Folks, the Bible doesn't simply contain the Word of God and you've got to play hide and seek with it and try to find out which portions of it really are the Word of God. It doesn't simply contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God from cover to cover. And remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or tittle of my Word will pass away. A jot and a tittle in the Hebrew were the smallest little marks of punctuation, like a period in, in our language or an apostrophe or a comma. Jesus said, not one jot or tittle of my word will pass away. The word of God. The word of God. Jesus is saying every part of God's word, even the smallest element, it's God's Word. It's inspired. And you can build your life on it. It'll show you how to be saved. It'll point you to your Savior and your need of a Savior. And not only that, but after you've been saved, it will equip you for ministry. Look at what he says it'll do. It's profitable for teaching, that is, for doctrine, the content of what you need to believe. For reproof or rebuke. It'll tell you where you're wrong. Where you've sinned. On one occasion a Christian missionary was uh, passing out Bibles uh, to Chinese people. And somebody returned a Bible to him and said, I don't want this anymore. And the missionary said, why don't you want it? He said, I don't know what it is about this book. But every time I read it, it kicks me. It'll kick you, but it'll kick you in the right direction. It's good for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It's God's owner's manual for living. I told you one time about a young mechanic broken down on the side of the road decades and decades and decades ago in an old Model A Ford. And he was trying to figure out what in the world was wrong with that car. 
he's a mechanic. He's greasy fingers, fingernails, greasy clothes. It was evident what his career was. And all of a sudden, in a fancy car, a, a, a white-collar man in a starched white shirt and a dark suit pulled up and said, Young man, can I help you? And the young man, the mechanic, looked at him and thought, Yeah, right, what's this guy going to do to help me? And the older man introduced himself. He said, by the way, my name's Henry Ford, and I designed that car. <laughs> it's God's owner's manual for life. He made you. He created you. And he knows how to make you live as he would have you to live. And he'll give you that knowledge and wisdom in and through his word. God wants you to be able to live in turbulent times. He wants you saved and trained and thinking right and acting right. He wants you to have the proper affections in life. And he gives you all of this instruction through his word. And folks, let's not forget that his only son, Jesus, in the wilderness fought the temptations of Satan by the word, quoting the word to Satan. And you look at Jesus' ministry in the Gospels and all through his earthly ministry, time and time and time again, what would Jesus do? He would make reference to the Scripture. The living word using the written word in his ministry to people. You and I are to abide in the living word and in the written word so that we will be equipped, equipped for ministry. You know, we look at the world today and what do we notice? We notice things in a mess. Jesus never wanted his disciples to be deceived into thinking the Christian life was somehow or another going to be easy. And so in order to strengthen them until he came again, he spoke to them about their relationship to him and to his word. Paul did the same with Timothy, saying, stay grounded in the word. And this morning what I'm saying is we need to follow that same pattern. Because yes, the world is bad. And yes, it's going to get even worse before it gets better. But don't be deceived, the Lord's warned us. We have the living word, the Lord Jesus, and we have the written word. So that we can make it day by day. We're not on our own. We're not without direction. He said, I'll never leave you. I will not leave you as orphans. Let me give you some takeaways Number one, the greatest need of the Christian life is to abide in Christ who is the living word and the true vine. There is life in him. Let me say that again. The greatest need of the Christian life is to abide in Christ who is the living word and the true vine. There is life in him. Secondly, there can be no Christian growth, no bearing of fruit, no ministry to the glory of God without abiding in Christ. 
And then thirdly, the Heavenly Father has breathed out, giving to us the written word that we may know how to be saved and that we might know how to live the Christian life. Therefore, it is critical for the believer to know and to live out the word. I want to invite you to bow your head and pray pray with me a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And I want to ask you this morning, just be honest before God. Is your Christian life suffering at the most important level? That of abiding in Christ. What do you need to do about it? What do you need to do about it in order to make your time with the Lord the most important time of your day? What adjustments do you need to make? Are you willing to make those adjustments? Are you consistently in God's word so that you might see how he relates to his people and what he expects of us? He'll equip you for whatever he's called you to do. But you've got to be in his word if you're going to understand his ways. Commit to being in his word. Remain in it. Dwell in it. Make a place in your heart for his word each and every day. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody today who's not in Christ. Your soul is parched. In fact, you're lost and spiritually dead and you know it. I'm going to invite you to come to Christ today. He's the source of life and he'll do in your heart and life what only he can do. He'll do in your heart and life what you can't find anywhere else. He'll change you. He'll give you peace and he'll reconcile you with the Father. And you'll have a relationship through him with God. But you've got to repent of your sins and come to him believing. The pastors will be down front here this morning to pray with you if that's your desire. Others that may want to step out and come forward and, and uh, in a public way, maybe just bow at the altar and Make a commitment in your heart and life that you're going to change some things in your life so you can abide in Christ and in His Word. You're going to make some changes so that will be the number one priority of your day. If you'll do that, you'll be able to just step back and see what God does in your life as He changes your thinking As you look around and see how God's using you, He promised that He would. Abide in Him and His Word and let His Word abide in you. Lord, we thank You for this unit that we studied this week on the Word. Lord, we know the world bombards us with other messages. Show us the importance of abiding in Christ and your word. God, we need 
your life living in and through us, we need your word giving us direction. We need your word to be the anchor for our soul in turbulent times. God, may abiding in you, the living word and the written word, may that be the number one priority of our lives. Speak to our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name.